Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for this particular episode. And from a couple of guests to flying solo again, uh, such is the nature of podcasting, I guess. You know, life gets in the way. So, for the record, I am going to be on my own this, this evening, so if that's a major detractor for you, my apologies, but at least I'm letting you know ahead of time. Uh, on the agenda for this particular evening, we have two UFC events to review, uh, one of which should be fairly fast, the other of which should still be fairly fast, actually, now that I think about it. And then the preview for the upcoming event, which, not a bad card, uh, not a great one, but uh, again, we'll get into all of it. Then, as far as news this week, fairly minimal. Uh, yeah, not not a whole lot. Uh, just a couple of fight announcements, mostly, so we'll get into that. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and jump into this. Let's see, what are we, let's start with, uh, uh, yeah, 13. UFC on ESPN 13, this event took place on Wednesday. Uh, that would have been the 15th. And this was an odd kind of event. Um, the entire main card all went the distance. Uh, on the prelims, only one fight went the distance. On the main card, all of the fights. Doesn't mean they were bad. There were some good ones, in fact. But it was kind of an odd thing to see that wide a disparity. Uh, your main event, Calvin Cater defeats Dan Ige via unanimous decision, 249-46, 148-47. I was 49-46. Um, good little fight here. Uh, Ige had a good second round, but Ige... Uh, he is very technically proficient. But I think what kind of wound up biting him here was doing a lot of the same thing repeatedly and not so much building off of what had previously happened. Uh, he also... Cater struggles with leg kicks. Uh, this has been a theme for him. Even in some fights that he's won, people have kind of... People have messed up his, le his leg a little bit. He's so boxing-centric in his attack. And I don't mean that as a... It, to be clear, that is not to say how dare you be boxing-centric. He is boxing-centric. It's led him to great success. But because there is no perfect fighting style, one of the dangers of fighting that way, fighting of a boxing-centric style, is that every time you jab, or every time you try to get close, you put a lot of weight on your lead leg. That's inviting it to be kicked. Uh, usually very hard. And... That's what Hanato Moicano used to a lot of effect in their fight. Uh, what's the other fight he lost? Uh, the Zabit fight. Zabit kicked him in the leg a fair bit before Zabit slowed down in the third round because, well, Zabit's style is very labor-intensive, and I'm very... And I'm, even in that fight, Cater won the third round and was really starting to turn that around. If that had been a five-round fight, I actually think Cater probably takes it. 
Uh, I mean, Shane Burgos had some success kicking him in the leg, and that was a fight that uh, Cater won in fairly spectacular fashion when he stopped him. Uh, Cater had a really good jab, especially as the fight wore on. He had good body work. I think if there's kind of a knock on this fight, while it is fun and technical, it's not very high, it's not incredibly high paced. They have a good pace. But Cater also doesn't really ah, How do I say this? He doesn't really put his foot on the gas. He's got a good pace and he varies it a little bit. But he's he's very much always within kind of himself and his style and his uh he doesn't go for the kill a whole lot if he doesn't really hurt you. And he's very he's also very content to kind of let things play out. He's very patient. And that can be to his advantage. Plenty of wild fighters never have a third of the success that Cater has. But it will be a problem in that he can be outworked. And it will be a problem in that guys who can vary, again, vary up their tempo and really kind of, you know, outwork him, change facets, can give him some problems. Again, not to mention, you know, leg kicks, fighting at longer range. Uh, that was one of the, again, one of the things Zabit had success against him, just keeping it at kicking range instead of boxing range. Um, or all the way into the clinch. Uh, Cater's takedown defense, really good. Danny a good wrestler, he's not you know, lights-out takedown artist, but he's a good takedown artist, and Cater basically stuffed him every time for this fight. Uh, Post-fight, Cater said he would like to fight Volkanovski because everyone's calling out Volkanovski right now. Uh, Cater made a bit of a point. Uh, he is the first person to go 2-0 and in the year of 2020. Uh, it, it might be the first featherweight. He might be the first person, period. I'd have to double-check that. He's also the only... Uh, top-ranked featherweight who's active at the moment. Let me pull up the rankings and double-check that. Because I think he's correct. Okay, so current rankings, you have Volkanovski, Holloway, Zabit, Ortega, Jung, Rodriguez, Cater, Edgar, Emmett, Stevens. You get, okay. Uh, Edgar and Emmett are tied at 7. So, you had Volkanovski and Holloway that just fought. First time for both of those men in 2020. Zabit hasn't fought yet this year. Ortega hasn't fought in a while. Uh, Jung hasn't fought this year. Rodriguez hasn't fought this year. I think they've kind of there are uh, stuff in place for Zabit and Rodriguez for for in August. There are like verbal agreements where one fighter signed and they're waiting on the other. But the UFC hasn't made it official yet. Uh, Emmett just fought Burgos. But, yeah, when Cater says he's the only guy really staying active... And, well, Emmett's also out of the equation at the moment after the injury to his knee, which really sucks because he just turned in uh, you know, a great performance, a great fight in the Shane Burgos fight, and now he's going to be out while his knee has to be repaired. So he's out of the equation. Edgar is going to be... Fi Edgar's not even in the division anymore. His next fight's down at bantamweight. So he should be removed. I'm of the opinion Ortega should be removed, not because he's not a great fighter, but because he hasn't fought in this so long. He, ha he hasn't fought since he fought for the title. 
I mean, hasn't Max fought like four times since then? I'm going to confirm that real fast. Because... Max fought Ortega in December of 18. So, a year and a half ago. A little more than that, actually. So, yeah, uh, so a full year would have been August of 9, or December of 19. So, yeah, over 18 months. Since then, Holloway fought Poirier at lightweight, Edgar at featherweight, and then Volkanovski twice. Yeah, he's fought four times since the Ortega fight. Ortega has fought not at all. God, Max fought three times in 19, went one and two. Rough year for him. He only fought the one time in 18. Man. Sorry, just Max is... He keeps a pretty active schedule, and it's it, arguably to his detriment. So, point being, uh, I would remove Ortega... So, yeah, again, Cater has a very real point there when he says there's a lot of guys that aren't doing a whole lot right now. Now, that might change in the next few months, but he's got a pretty good argument there. Uh, so, for him, I don't know that he fights the champ next, but I think he gets a... He should get a pretty big... Uh, I saw some people mentioning that the way he fights, they'd love to see him in Max Holloway. I mean, who could possibly complain about that fight? I'm not... Some of that depends on what you want, on what Max wants to do. If Max wants to stick around at featherweight. Um, much as I hate feeding your next top contender to the guy ranked just below the champion who's not going to get another title shot, sort of. Um, if Max wants to stick around featherweight and potentially earn another shot, you figure he's a win or two away, two at most... If he beats Cater, you, you let Volkanovski fight somebody else. Let Holloway fight somebody else. I don't need a third fight between those two right now. I mean, I just don't. They've they've had they fought ten rounds. They were each other's you know cons consecutive opponents. It's it's exhausting for all parties. And I don't think it's conducive to either man performing at their best. Give Holloway somebody else. Give Volkanovski somebody else. And let's let's just kind of move the machinery a little bit. I wouldn't again. I wouldn't be opposed to that fight because if Cater wins, I think that that would be it. If he's the the only other guy. You know, if he's the only guy at featherweight in years, apart from Volkanovski, to beat Holloway at featherweight, I think he would be the next title contender after that. And if Max beats him, he proves he's still got it at featherweight and could be, again, right back in the title discussion. If Max wants to move up to lightweight, it's kind of been proven at this point he's got to really put some effort into that. He can't just... You know, cut 10 less pounds going into... It can't just be a weight cut thing where it's like, okay, get to cut a little bit less. He's got to put on some muscle if he's really going to make a run at that. And to be clear, if that's what he wants to do, go for it. I don't begrudge him that at all. Uh, I don't know what Ige does next. He's still ranked number 10. 
Uh, again, with Emmett out of the equation, Edgar down a bantamweight. I mean, I wouldn't hate uh, Ige and Shane Burgos. I mean, Ige's a very engaging fighter. I There's almost not really a bad matchup for him if we're talking about how interesting it is to watch. So that was your main event. Co-main event. These next ones are going to start coming faster, I promise. Tim Elliott defeated Ryan Benoit via unanimous decision. I scored this for Benoit, I think. Uh, I, I don't, that said, I don't think that it's wrong to give it to Elliott. Um, fun little scramble fest when it hit the mat. Elliott active, but on the feet, but Benoit much, much harder hitter. Uh, a fairly typical flyweight fight in both the good and the bad ways. Uh, Jimmy Rivera defeated Cody Stamen, uh, unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. These two are bantamweights. They fought up at featherweight for this bout. Um, I don't know if that was just a function of not wanting to cut as much weight or what, or short notice or what, but, uh, again, good fight. Rivera just a little bit better everywhere. A little bit better on the feet, a little more power, a little more active, a little bit better wrestler. And that's just kind of how that played out. So good for Rivera to get back on the winning side of things. Uh, he had a rough stretch, man. I mean, he fought the three best bantamweights in the world, pretty much. He fought Marais, Sterling, and Jan. And... You know, Marais knocked him out in short order. Uh, Sterling beat him on all three judge, uh, all three rounds on all judges' scorecards. He gave Yawn some problems at points in the fight, but ultimately succumbed to both the pa- to the power. You know, he'd be doing good, and then just little laps, usually near the end of the round, and suddenly he gets dropped. And everything else, while he made, well, he might have been winning. You get hurt and dropped. You need to have done a lot to overcome that from a scoring standpoint, and he just didn't. But seeing him get back on the winning side of things is good for him. Um, Tyler Santos defeated Molly McCanvey, unanimous decision, 30-27s, and then won 30-26. Santos had been... She had a rough debut and then took time off to get better, and it showed she... She put a pretty thorough beating on Molly... Uh, over the course of this fight. Uh, your fight of the night, uh, Munir Lazez defeated Abdul Razak Al-Hassan via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. Uh, Al-Hassan missed weight for this fight, so he did not get the post-fight bonus. It, this is kind of what happens when a good, when a powerful and good for MMA striker runs into a very good striker. Alassane, powerful guy, but his technique was lagging way behind Lazez, and so Lazez ate some hard shots, covered up, rolled with a lot of them. Let Alassane kind of punched himself out. He's always he's had cardio issues in the past, and Lazez just kind of took over with superior technique. Really good upward intercepting elbows. Hit some really nice knees to the body. Uh, there were portions of this fight where they kind of got in the pocket and were both just exchanging. Uh, 
this got fight of the night for a reason. I don't think too many people complained about it. Um, really good introduction from Lazez. Curious how he'll do against a more uh, well-rounded fighter. I mean, Alhassan comes from the... Uh, who's the other judo guy? Um, oh, Sokaju. Sorry, the, the, I, I promise. I know other judo guys have been in it, but Sokaju came from a judo background, but his bread and butter was kind of being hard to take down, but a really fast, explosive puncher. And that's kind of what Al-Hassan has going for him, that same thing, judo background. But when it comes to, fight, when it comes to fighting, he's leaning on the power, leaning on the... And leaning on you know, the punching, so I, I'm again, I'm curious what Lazes would do against someone who's not going to gas out in two minutes. Uh, but Lazes's chin was really good; his technique was really good. So I'm curious to see what he does next. That was your main card. As for the prelims, uh, Hamzat Shemaev. Put a beating on John Phillips. Good grief, this was nasty. He got Phillips down immediately and then just kept him down. Anytime he did get up, immediate mat return, immediate re-engage, reshot if it was a little separation. Beat on him for the first round. Second round, takes him down again, gets a Darce choke, and uh, just total, total wipeout. Uh, Shemaev actually got a quick turnaround. Uh, he, I think they said he normally fights at welterweight. He debuted here at middleweight, and the man's like 6'3". And he's apparently got a another fight lined up already. He said, um, I'm ready to fight next week, which I don't think they gave him, but... Uh, on the broad, on one of the broadcasts, uh, they did announce a very fast turnaround for him. I'm trying to find out which, I'm trying to remember which event they did. I think it was another. Was it for the Till versus Whitaker card? It was. Holy crap! Yeah, he'll be on the main card of that down at welterweight. Uh, is that really that big a card? Hang on, sorry. I'm just looking at this Whitaker Till. We'll preview it later. I can look at it then. Uh, so. Yeah, he he looked good. He looked real good. At featherweight, Larone Murphy defeated Ricardo Hamos via TKO 418 of the first. Brutal ground-and-pound finish from Murphy. Uh, Hamos wound up kind of pulling guard. He tried for a takedown, got reversed, and then Murphy on top just defended some submission attempts and then started bombing on him. Uh, really good finish. At light heavyweight, Modestus Bukowskis defeated Andreas Michalaitis via TKO uh, five of the first round. It was between rounds one and two. Really, really dull round. Until the end when Michalaitis goes after a double leg. Bukowskis with those uh, Travis Brown-style elbows uh, to the side of the head behind the ear. Round ends. Michalaitis drops and kind of complains about being hit in the back of the head. The ref whose ultimate decision this is, says, no, they were good, get up. He didn't get up. Ref said, no, get up. He kind of reached towards the fence to help him to kind of brace himself. The portion of the fence he reached towards was where the door was, and the door had been open, so he reaches for that. It's not there. He over he stumbles because where he was expecting his weight to go is not where it went. 
and the ref sees him stumbling, waves it off. Uh, again, minor bits of like, uh, if he, you know, he wasn't that hurt. He was hurt. Was he, you know, unconscious hurt? No, but he also wasn't responding to the ref. The ref told him, get up. You know, those were legal blows. Get up, get to your corner. And if he still takes a little bit to sit there and kind of... He was... And I don't know if he was overly milking the situation, and I'm not accusing him of... I'm not accusing him of that, by the way, but, you know. You get hit in the, you get hit in the head hard like that, I, and you're between rounds. If you're going to, you know, advocate for, hey, give me another second or two to recover, I'm not going to blame anybody for it. Whether or not it's warranted in terms of legality of the strike is the referee's decision. And in this case, I think they were legal. But it wasn't a good look. And, I mean, if he'd been getting up right away and then it kind of stumbled, I don't think we would have had that. We would be having the same discussion. Um, eh, it was a fight. Um, Jared Gordon defeated Chris Fishgold via unanimous decision, 30-26 across the boards. Uh, Gordon just put a beating on Chris Fishgold for the entire fight, and it got worse as time went on. Uh, Fishgold started losing worse and worse and worse the longer the fight went. Uh, post-fight, Gordon talked about some of the real problems he's had. You know, he had the false positive COVID test that put this in jeopardy. His entire team tested positive, so he <laughs> had a couple of replacement cornermen at the last second for this fight, one of which was commentator Paul Felder, who left the booth to corner this fight and then was back in commentary after. Uh, he mentioned his wife had miscarried, uh, I think their first, uh, I don't know if they have any, I don't know if this is their first child or not, a few weeks ago, and just the, to be able to come through, to persevere through that kind of adversity, uh, it, it is remarkable. Uh, much needed win for Jared Gordon here. Liana Jauja defeated Diana Belbicha via armbar, 243 of the first. Um, really, really odd decision-making from Belbita here. She was doing better on the feet. Uh, forced a clinch. Got a takedown, but, like, into full guard. Held a can opener too long and got armbarred. Uh, Jojua adjusted, had to adjust the armbar completely. She didn't really have a great angle. Got to spiderweb control, adjusted, extended again. You could kind of hear the arm pop. Uh, Jojua needed a win, and she got one. And a bantamweight kicking everything off. Jack Shore defeated Aaron Phillips via rear naked choke, 229 of the second. Shore was just a uh, superior fighter. He had Phillips' number pretty much everywhere in this fight. Uh, good stuff from him. Uh, that was, again, the Wednesday card that nobody cared about. Uh, I, I know this was opposite, uh, and I, this was opposite a couple of things. Uh, the There was an AEW event, I think this was their Fighter Fest event, and then NXT had, I don't know if it was just a regular show, if this was part of their, uh, you know, event, uh, you know, a bigger event than just the weekly show. But man, yeah, nobody cared about this. Uh, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen the traffic numbers for either my live coverage or the report. But uh, no interaction, no comments, no, no, just nobody cared. But if you did happen to have read it, thank you very much. I always appreciate, uh, I always appreciate you guys. 
All right, moving on to yesterday's card. UFC on ESPN plus 30. Your main event, Davison Figueredo. Poof. He beat the crap out of Joseph Benavidez. Uh, he fin- officially defeats Benavidez via technical submission, rear naked choke, 448 of the first. This was a... <sighs> Davison Figueiredo's nickname, Deus de Guerra, means God of War in Portuguese. If you've ever played that any of those games, the games in that franchise, this was a God of War-style massacre. Um... Figueredo hits Benavidez with a clean right hook real early. Uh, he's standing southpaw. Benavidez fires a body kick. And Figueredo just hits a right hook onto the temple, drops him, gets on top, gets his back, nearly chokes him a couple of times. They fight back up to their feet. He drops Benavidez. Benavidez fights back up. He gets dropped again. He drops Benavidez three times. Last time, follows him down, gets on top, gets the back again, this time gets the choke locked in, and puts him to sleep. A total wipeout. Um, I, I'm going to talk about Benavidez separately in a second or two, but let me start with Figueredo here. Uh, he was in the first fight with Benavidez. Benavidez had won the first round, but it was competitive. One of the things that, if you rewatch that fight, you'll see that kind of builds as that fight goes on for as long as it does. Um, Davison Figueredo does not have any fear of the power coming back his way from Benavidez. Now, Benavidez has some power for flyweights. He's finished guys with his he's finished guys with strikes, but once Figueredo kind of figured out in that first fight that, oh, I don't need to worry about anything you're hitting me with, basically. Uh, that was kind of the beginning of the end for Benavidez in that fight. So he comes into this fight knowing that be- there's not a whole lot he has to fear in terms of the power coming back his way, and he just clobbered Benavidez. After that first sequence, he very nearly gets him... Uh, gets a submission with, uh, again, the rear naked choke earlier. I think there was one of those attempts that the only thing that saved Benavidez was, well, two things. One, it wasn't quite all the way under the chin, and two, uh, Figueredo was using an S-grip, which, bad video I could show you, but if you, you could, you're, I mean, you're welcome to look it up. There's plenty of people that talk about different grips on YouTube, but if you have, say, your right hand and it's palm up, and your left hand is palm down, and you interlock your fingers... Uh, you know, and your your fingers wind up making kind of that S shape. That's where it gets its name, and it's a very good um, lateral grip. You know, if you're if you're being pulled completely straight across where your fingers are, it's a strong enough grip. But once you get like angles or you know anything on a different plane, it's a little bit not as strong. And that's kind of what I think saved again Benavidez in that first one because Figueroa had an S grip. And it, I don't think he could really get the full uh, power behind the choke. And it's a slightly easier grip to kind of break if you're trying to defend a choke. Oh, the your naked choke, at least. Other chokes, it's the way you want your hands. Um, Benavidez's toughness I just, it needs to be said. His survival instincts, incredible. 
he was just profoundly outmatched here. And after that first exchange, every time it didn't seem to matter what Figueredo did with his shoulders, any feint he threw, he was getting Benavides to bite and then clobbering him with the right. Uh, so we have a new flyweight champion in the form of Davison Figueredo. He made weight for this fight, so he is the champion now. I don't know how flyweight's going to function. Uh, if you look at flyweight, your next couple of contenders are probably as follows. Because our rankings right now have not been updated post this event, and so they have Figueredo at number one, Benavidez at two, Moreno at three, Pantoja four, Perez five, Juicy Formiga six, Askar Askarov seven. Those are the relevant parties because Figueredo is now going to be the champion. Benavidez is going to drop. He, I know that the UFC rankings when they do these things tend to be. They tend to apply, I think, incorrect logic to the rankings. What they 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 try to rank like who they think is the best in the division as opposed to who should be the next contender. If you want to rank who you think is the best fighter in the division, you can't exclude the champion. The champion doesn't get to sit apart. The champion has to be part of the rankings. Because there are times when the champion is not the best fighter in the division. If all you're doing is determining the contendership queue, within reason, then it shouldn't matter that Joseph Benavidez has beaten everybody else apart from Davis and Figueredo. He's been finished by him twice... He is not the number one contender. He should not be in the title. He should not be in the title picture. He should not be ranked number one. I don't know if he will or not. But you have Brandon Moreno, who might slide up to number one. In all honesty, probably should. Alessandre Pantoja was number four coming into this event. We'll talk about his fight in a minute or two. But he lost to Askar Askarov. Uh, that is probably going to result in... So he's going to drop. Askarov is going to rise. I don't think Askarov should fight for the belt next. Uh, he's only a couple of fights into his career. Just feels like a bit too much too soon. I'd rather he fought somebody else first. I mean, that said, he just beat the number four contender. So, you know, who, who am I, <laughs> right? Uh, you have Alex Perez at five. He will He will bump up against several places. I think your number one contender coming out of the rankings update that's coming is going to be either Moreno or Perez. Because Pantoja's going to drop. Formiga's going to rise up. Formiga has a case for a title shot because he's the only guy that has beaten Figueredo. Figueredo's entire record, I think, at this point is... What, 20-something and one? 19 and one. That one is Juicy A. Formiga, who defeated him in 2019. Uh, so Formiga has an argument there. Now, working against Formiga is him being on a three-fight losing streak, including being stopped by Alex Perez via leg kicks, and a loss to Brandon Moreno. Again, he does, if he wins one more fight, though, he could, you could make the argument, you know, that Form, that uh, Figueredo wants that win, wants that fight back. You know, uh, rematches like that are something the UFC likes to sell. So, we might see Formiga enter that, despite being on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, then we have Askarov at seven, who is going to jump up several places. 
I don't think they're going to go with Askarov. I think he's probably the least likely. Um, not because he's the least deserving, but there seems to be a bit more kind of fan support for either Moreno or Perez. And they are the more senior UFC fighters. And I I would, personally, I would like to see Askarov get a little more seasoning before he steps up to the title level. Just my opinion. But that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment. Uh, Tim Elliott, who beat Ryan Benoit again uh, on Wednesday, will probably jump up. He's ranked 13th here. Um, so, Flyweight now is a champion, and hopefully can begin functioning normally again. Ah, oh, boy. So there's that. Um, okay, let me let me talk about Benavides for just a minute, separately from this. Um, Benavides said after the fight that he knows he's probably done. That this was probably his last chance at a title, which I think is true. I mean, no disrespect, but he's 35, which is the same age I am. I'll be 35 later this year. But he's been fighting. He has 35 fights. He's been fighting since 2006. So we're talking about a 14-year career. When did he debut? June of 06. So a little over 14 years. He's had some tough fights. I mean, for a long time, he was just kind of, you know, better than a lot of people. I wouldn't say he was coasting, but he wasn't taking tremendous damage. That started to change, not just over the Figueredo fights. Even some of the fights that he's won. That just kind of started to change over the last little bit. He wound up missing a bunch of time due to injury. Uh, You've got two losses to the current champion, both of which were stoppages. Uh, The UFC, for the promotion of this fight, leaned hard into the narrative from the first fight between these two that, well, the headbutt changed everything. It... I'm not saying the headbutt didn't have some kind of an impact. It did. You got headbutted. But two things. One, if you look at who takes the worst of that headbutt from a structural standpoint, it's actually Figueredo. The top of Benavidez's head hits Figueredo in the face. The fact that it's Benavidez that comes away with his bell rung a little bit more and cut is just down to how hard Figueredo's head is, I assume, I guess. I mean, and, you know, I actually do kind of, looking at the way that particular foul played out, that's more on how Benavidez was doing things than how Figueredo was. So, even if you wanted to say the headbutt was the deciding factor in why Benavidez lost, it only happened because of him. <laughs> um, and... I know Benavides had won the first round, but if you look at how that second round is going even before that headbutt, it is not going in his it is not going his way. Uh Formiga is really starting to come on, and I think he probably would have either way. And now you have this one which was utterly devoid of anything even approximating controversy at this moment in time. Somebody fails a if news comes back about somebody failing a drug test or whatnot, we'll revisit the discussion. But at the moment, this was clean as a sheet. Uh, 
and you're not going to get another title shot. I think the only thing he said was he doesn't want to retire on that note. Um, I don't know if he's going to stick to that. We've heard that before from plenty of guys who go, yeah, I know I'm, I know I'm near the end. I just, I don't want to go out a loser and they win. And then somewhere in their head, they go, you know, I can still do this. I can still win. It's very rare that you see someone go, yeah, I'm, you know, got an, I'm, I got another fight or two in me and they stick to that. I hope Benavidez does. Um, he is one of the few good guys in the sport. You know, you'd be very, very hard-pressed to find someone more universally, essentially, respected by his peers than Joseph Benavidez is. He's also... Again, he's 35 in a very... In a division that rewards youth and speed and reflexes more than others. And I think he's just... It's all just kind of worn down on him. And, you know, sentimentally, a lot of people were rooting for him in this fight. And again, it's easy to understand why. He is one of the very few genuinely good guys in the sport. And it's unfortunate the man never won a major title. He had opportunities. This was his fifth total UFC slash WEC title fight. And it just sucks that sometimes you're a great fighter, and Benavidez, a great fighter. But you just happen to run up against somebody or multiple somebodies, if you're really unlucky, that are better. In the case of Benavidez, his bantamweight title shot in uh, the WEC promotion came against an all-time great in Dominic Cruz. And an all-time great, kind of nearing, I wouldn't say that was peak Cruz, but it was getting there. You ran into an all-time great. Then you go... Drop down to flyweight. The UFC makes that division basically for Benavides. That He was the presumptive winner of that four-man tournament. And then you run into... You have a close fight with Demetrius Johnson the first time. I've always scored that for DJ, but it's a competitive fight. Very competitive. You just unfortunately ran into another all-time great fighter earned a rematch with said all-time great, only to find out that this time, you know, Johnson is a much better fighter in their second fight, and he knocks him out in the first round. So now, unfortunately, two losses to an all-time great who held a stranglehold on that belt for a long time. Gets another shot at flyweight. Unfortunately, at this point, he's past his prime physically, slowing down, and runs into one of the worst stylistic matchups he could have run into. Figueredo is a power puncher, very competent on the ground, very, again, scrambly and submission savvy, with a great chin, just utterly unafraid of any th- of, any of Benavidez's offense, who hit really, you know, was a power puncher. That's a terrible style matchup for Benavidez. 
even at the even at Benavidez's best, that's a rough fight for him. At his best, he probably at his best he might win it just because I think I think if Benavidez is at his best and fights Figueredo, he wrestles a lot more, which is still not a guarantee that he'd win. That is just that is a bad style matchup for him. And this is a very very brutal sport in that respect. So, if he is going to just kind of try to get one more feel-good win and then ride off into the sunset, I, I don't... I, I wish him well. I don't have much of a bad thing to say about Joseph Benavidez. Uh, so, that was your main event. You know, so last thing about Benavidez here. Joseph Benavidez might be the best fighter to never win a UFC title. And I think if we include UFC WEC, so, you know, Zufa pre, uh, pre-Endeavor buyout. He might be the best to have never won a title in either of those organizations. And that covers a fair bit of ground. But I think he probably was. If you want to discount interim titles and say only undisputed titles matter for that discussion. You then run into talking about guys like Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier, or potentially even Justin Gagey. You know, lightweight is a brutal division. Lightweight is... If you look at the, look at the resume that Tony Ferguson put together, right? If you put that... If you put a 13, 12 or 13 fight winning streak, I forget what which one it was, call it 12. You put a 12 fight winning streak together over the level of opposition that he did it. You you take, you know, the rough, whoever roughly matches with the guys he was beating in any other division, any of them. That man is a champion, probably with a couple of title defenses under his belt. He but because it's lightweight, I, and you know, Len, look, some of that's on him. You know, I, I'm not saying that Tony is some pure victim here. Some of that, he was, some of that was on him. Some of that was on his issues not and not anyone else's. It still sucks. And I'm not saying he just, you know, uh, this is not describing, uh, you know, some kind of karmic uh, sense of justice to it. It's just an observation that, yeah, some of the times that Tony lost out on those fights were entirely his own doing, basically. But I think even if you do want to discount interim titles from that discussion, you can still make a very compelling argument that Benavidez is still the best fighter to have never won a UFC, uh, an undisputed UFC title. I... Uh, which is a rough spot to be, and that is not something you want to be known for if we're talking about legacy. But some guys are just stuck competing in eras of, you know, generational talent. And in the case of Benavidez, he just got stuck up against first Dominic Cruz and then Demetrius Johnson. And that kind of... That was just kind of that for him in his... in terms of where his career peaked relative to theirs. All right, moving on. Uh, let's see. Jack Hermanson 
defeats Kelvin Gastelum via heel hook, 118 of the first round. Did not see this one going this way. Not to say that I didn't think Hermanson could win. But they tied up fairly quickly. Hermanson went for that lateral drop he does. Gastelum reverses him and lands on top. Uh, I think in side control. Hermanson shrimps to half guard. When Gastelum postures up, he isolates one leg, kicks it, brings it across his body, kicks him off balance, and attacks him with a heel hook. And Gastelum just, I don't know if he didn't realize how much danger he was in at first, or he was too, uh, he, uh, you know, was too busy falling to think about getting his leg free. But uh, really, really, again, it's hard to kind of, I shouldn't say it's hard to oversell this. You could easily oversell this win. I think the reality of Gastelum has lost before. Gastelum has been finished before. Uh, Once. The only other guy to finish him was Weidman. Uh, And he dropped Weidman bad. This is probably the most lopsided loss that Gastelum has ever suffered. His fight with Adesanya was an incredible fight. And he and he clearly lost. In fact, you know, that fifth round's at 10-8 in favor of Adesanya. But he certainly had, you know, he won two of those rounds. This... What, I think this is probably the worst defeat of his career in those terms. This puts him on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, he's in a rough spot. Um, Hermanson gets back on the horse. He said after the fact that he had kind of a plan for getting to fight for the title. Um, he wanted to... Cause, uh, who was it he called out? can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I thought it was a good call-out, actually. Hang on. Uh, let's see. Oh, he wants to fight the winner of Whitaker and Till. That was it. Which I'm okay with. He hasn't fought either of those gentlemen before. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all, I am completely okay with that fight happening. Um, he was ranked coming into this. I'm trying to remember where. He was number six. Um, where was... Gastelum was seven. So he's still got a little bit to go. I don't know that he'll go up, but next week we have number... If we're talking middleweight, numbers one and five fighting it out. So he plans to... He said he kind of wants to win that and then potentially fight again to set up another... To set up a title shot if he's able to win both of those fights. Uh, again, I'm perfectly fine with him against the winner of Whitaker Till. Um, I think especially if it's Whitaker, I don't think you can sell... Okay, l- let me mention this. Uh, the UFC has announced uh, Adesanya versus Costa for UFC 253. Um, if Adesanya beats Costa, not a given, but if... I think in that case, I would say Whitaker and Hermanson makes a lot of sense. I don't think you could sell Whitaker a rematch between Whitaker and Adesanya, given how their first fight went 
on the back of one win, unless it is mind-blowingly spectacular. I think if he gets two, you can probably do it. Between his body of work at middleweight and enough time having passed, I think you could probably sell that. If If Costa beats Adesanya... Some of that's going to depend on what they want to... You know, on how he wins, they might do an immediate rematch. Um, that would surprise me a little bit. But I think if Costa wins, and there's no controversy about it, you know, if he wins clean, I don't, and the methodology does not matter there, and Whitaker wins clean and impressive, you, you could probably, under those circumstances, do Costa-Whitaker. Uh, but again, there's a few other things that we have to see how that plays out. I mean, if Till wins, I think if Till wins, you probably want to do you could do Till Hermanson uh, just fine, regardless. Though if Till wins, he's probably going to want a title shot. And again, some of this is kind of dependent on the outcome of Adesanya Costa, so we'll see. But. Uh, you know, much, much needed win for Hermanson and a very impressive one, so good on him. I don't know where Gastelum goes from here. Um, maybe a fight with Edmund Shabazian? I think Shabazian has a fight lined up, but um, he's going to wind up fighting somebody down in the rankings instead of up for his next fight. Uh, next up, Rafael, excuse me, Rafael Fiziev defeated Mark Jacquezi via unanimous decision. Uh, 30-27 and 2-29-28. Another example of a power puncher who gets by on okay technique but tends to overwhelm opponents with his power and athletic explosion, in the case of Jacquezi, and a very competent, very experienced kickboxer in Fiziev who just is not panicking or phased by it. Uh... Fiziev looked really good. He did his... Um, there was a clip that circulated on you know the internet a little bit a few years ago of that was actually of Fiziev as he matrixed when bending backwards at the waist under a head kick and then po- kind of uh, and then popped back up. He did that here to Jacquezi, you know, leaned back under the head kick like like you're limboing and then kicked him in the leg. Um, I. Again, we're talking about lightweight, very, very competitive division. I would like to see, but I, I, there's a lot good about Fiziev's game. I'm very, very curious to see what he does next. Um, as for Jacquezi, the UFC had been kind of having him on the rehab tour after some tough losses because they like him, but this, yeah. Derails that a little bit, but I think the UFC will give him another... Again, they like him, so they're going to give him slightly favorable matchmaking as a general rule. Um, Ariane Lipsky defeated Luana Carolina via knee bar, 128 of the first. Um, Lipsky... I didn't see a lot of this fight. My computer died um, partway through this event. And I actually had to run out to the store and get stuff to fix it, so... 
Some of this I have not had a chance to go back and rewatch yet. Um, what I could see from the finishing clip, uh, Carolina's trying to take the back of Lipsky, but Lipsky's kind of uh, attacking one of her legs with the with the knee bar position. I think Carolina actually defended the wrong leg. If you're worried about one of your legs being attacked, you want one of the ways to protect it is to get into kind of the figure four position where you put the attacked leg. So if you're attacking, if you're in the same position, kind of sitting on my hips, leaning forward, attacking my legs, if you're attacking my left leg, I want to take my left and put the foot in the ankle behind my right knee and then clamp down on it. Because, uh, again, in this position, the my right leg is not being attacked, only my left, and that makes it very, very difficult to finish the attack. It looked a little bit like Carolina did that in the reverse way, like she had her... She, she was defending the wrong leg. And so Lipsky grabbed a hold of it, cranked back on it from, you know, sitting on her hips. Uh, yeah, there were some nasty still shots of this one that came out. Uh, good finish. I'm a sucker for any bar. So, good on Lipsky. Um, women's flyweight is, you know, paper thin. I don't think see I, I don't I have a hard time seeing her making a run in the immediate future but if she keeps improving it's possible again women's flyweight is very very open in that respect I mean Lipsky's gone two and two in the UFC her losses were to Joanne Calderwood and Molly McCann legitimate opposition her wins are over Isabella de, pa uh, de, de Padua and Luana Carolina who are not on the level of uh, Joanne Calderwood or even Molly McCann. Uh, kicking off the main card, another fight I missed big chunks of. Askar Askarov defeated Alessandre Pantoja via unanimous decision, 29-20 across the boards. I'm looking forward to being able to rewatch this one. I liked Askarov. I picked him to win this fight. Um, the round I saw clearly was the first, which I gave to Pantoja. But Askarov is a relentless wrestler. And I think he just kind of broke things down. He's got good, and he's got surprising power in his hands. He dropped Pantoja in the third round. Um, you know, really, really big win for Askarov, who I don't think will be fighting for the title next, but is two fights away at most, given the state of flyweight. All right, uh, on the prelims, Roman Delitze defeated Hadis Ibrahimov via TKO, uh, knee and punches, 4-15 of the first. Um, the Ibrahimov experiment can be over now. Not UFC ready. Uh, Grant Dawson defeated Nad Naramani via unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-26, and 29-27. Um, Dawson just better everywhere and much better on the ground. It's time to give Grant Dawson a step up in class. You know, let, let's see him up against the next level of guys. Uh, Joel Alvarez submitted Joe Duffy with a guillotine choke, 225 of the first. Um, surprising. Not that Alvarez won necessarily, but that he won like this. Uh, you know, good win for him. Joe Duffy announced his retirement from MMA after this, and... If you've reached this point and you've kind of dealt with some of the out-of-cage adversity that he has and it's just not coming together, we'll see if it sticks. Um, you know, he might take a year off and decide he wants to come back, so we'll see. Uh, Brett Johns defeated Montel Jackson via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, 
John's just, you know, better wrestler. Uh, Jackson had some bits of success, but he really, really struggled uh, against the kind of consistent work rate of John's. Uh, let's see. Amir Albazi defeated Malcolm Gordon via triangle choke, 442 of the first. I be- believe it or not, according to the stats, guys, this is our first triangle choke finish in the UFC for all of 2020. Um, Albazi was just better everywhere, visibly. Um, his fight, top to bottom. Armin Sarukian defeated Davi Hamos for unanimous decision. I was looking forward to this fight. It did not disappoint. Sarukian wrestled a little bit when he had to, but kept Hamos at the end of his strikes, uh, kept the fight very, very long, and just kind of chewed him up from the outside. Um, Sarukian's only 23. And is... I mean, this man has been done zero favors by the UFC's matchmaking. I mean, his UFC fight, he debuted against Islam Makachev, then fought Olivier Aubameyang, now fights Davi Hamosh. That is a rough three-fight stretch. And he won two of those. <laughs> the only guy that beat him was Makachev. Uh, Sarukian, again, very, very young. A lot of potential there. Very interested to see what he does going forward. And kicking everything off, Sergey Spivak defeated Carlos Felipe via majority decision. 128-28 draw and then two 29-27s. I think I was uh, 29... I think I was 29-27. Um, it was a mediocre heavyweight fight. I don't know what you want me to say about it other than that. Um, so, yeah, that was your main... That was UFC on ESPN plus 30. My apologies again for the technical issues. Uh, yeah, Saturday was just rough in a lot of ways. So I'll save you some of the personal stuff because you don't care. Uh, all right. This coming Saturday, we have another event. This will be our last event at the moment in terms of scheduling from Yaz Island. UFC on ESPN 14. In your main event, former champion Robert Whitaker back for the first time since he got knocked out by Adesanya will be fighting Darren Till, who scored a significant win in his uh, middleweight debut, well, his UFC middleweight debut, when he beat Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, this is a big spot for Till. Um... I don't know... Uh, normally, I would just pick Robert Whitaker and just kind of be done with it. But... I, I don't want to shortchange Darren Till in that respect. Darren Till is a very good fighter. He moves well. His fight against Gastelum, he was angling quite well off of exchanges, bouncing in and out of the pocket. He's a very big guy. Um, I mean, both these guys are former middleweights. But Till leaves his chin up in the air a little bit. That's kind of what Mosfidal wound up queuing into when he beat him. Uh, it's what Woodley queued into when he stopped when Woodley beat him. 
and I think Whitaker probably will be able to kind of capitalize on some of those same things. Um, especially the longer this fight goes, unless somebody, unless one of these guys starts taking a lot of damage. Whitaker has fought five rounds a few different times against very, very tough opposition. Till's only five-round fight that went five rounds, I thought he lost. Uh, that being the Stephen Thompson fight. And that was not an especially high-paced affair. I'm picking Whitaker, but I'm not discounting Till's chances at all. He's got a good straight left. He's got power. And if Whitaker's a little bit off, or if his chin was genuinely cracked by Adesanya, uh, Till has ways to win this fight. Your co-main event... The third fight between little between Shogun, Mauricio Shogun Hua, and Antonio Hogerio Nogueira, Little Nog. These two had a genuinely classic fight. Their first fight in Pride, Pride Critical Countdown 2005. One of the best fights you'll ever see. Great, great fight. Great momentum shifts. They go back and forth. Shogun gets clobbered with a right hook. He gets takedowns. He ground and pound. Again, it's an all-time classic fight. Their rematch occurs 10 years later, in August of 15, and they gave it fight of the night. It was nowhere near what their first clash was. I mean, 10 years later, how could it be? And now five years after that, we're getting a third one for reasons that are unbelievably unclear to all parties. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm I'm picking Shogun, I guess. Uh, I mean, Shogun was kind of lucky to get that draw with Paul Craig. I mean, I scored in the draw, but you know, he was kind of lucky he didn't get stopped. Uh, but you know, he's he's not quite as washed as Little Nog is. So, but this fight feels borderline exploitative to me. That's the only thing I'm going to say about that. A heavyweight fight. Former heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum is back. Uh, after his split decision loss to Alexi Olenek in May of this year. And he will be fighting the returning and unretired Alexander Gustafson. Gustafson trying his hand up at heavyweight. Um, this is a tough one to kind of get a handle on. Because Verdum did not look especially good against Olenek, but that might have just been a lot of rust. And how Gustafson will look up at heavyweight is a giant mystery. I'm going to pick Gustafson, but that's kind of by the slimmest of margins. There's a women's strawweight fight. Carla Esparza will battle Marina Rodriguez. Um, Rodriguez has a really odd UFC run. She's two wins, no losses, and two draws. Um, Esparza, by contrast, is on one of the better runs she's had in the UFC. Uh, she's won her last three. 
One unanimous decision, one majority decision that I thought she lost. Right, so I thought I thought the Grosso fight was a draw, uh, pretty clearly. And then a split decision over Michelle Waterson that no one cared about. Um, I'm gonna pick Rodriguez here. I I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. Um. We have a light heavyweight fight next between Paul Craig and Gadzimirad Antagulov. Uh, Antagulov on a two-fight losing streak. He's been stopped by both Iwan Kutelaba and Mikhail Oleksijuk. Craig uh, he's coming off of the draw with Shogun. I kind of like Craig here. I think Antagulov kind of plays into his game plan a little bit too much. Um, welterweight Alex Oliveira, the dirtiest fighter in the UFC, will fight Peter Sabata. They're not even in Germany. Um, Sabata was stopped by Leon Edwards in March of 18. What kept him out of action for so long? Uh, the only thing listed here is injury. But that's an over two-year layoff. Uh, against Oliveira. Probably go Alex Oliveira. Um, but, eh, who knows. Uh, we talked about this fight, uh, one of these guys, a little bit earlier. Uh, Hamzat Shemaev against Reese McKee. McKee making his debut. At this point, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable picking Shemaev over unknown properties. Uh, as for our prelims, Francisco Trinaldo will fight Jai Herbert. Um, Trinaldo's still trucking along. Got two wins. Uh, Herbert's making his debut here. His name is vaguely familiar. I'm trying to see if there's any reason for that. He is uh, English. A lot of Cage Warriors alum getting uh, getting shots on this. Nope. Uh, don't know why his name is familiar to me, then. Uh, I'll pick Trinaldo, but... Trinaldo's slowing down at this point, and he's going to start being on the wrong end of making newer guys. Um, Nicholas Dalby will fight Jesse Ronson. Let's see. Ronson coming back to the UFC. He went 0-3 his first time. Split losses to Michelle Prezeres, Trinaldo, and Kevin Lee. That's a rough three-fight stretch in the UFC, man. You debut against Prezeres, fight him to a split. You fight Trinaldo next, fight him to a split. You fight Kevin Lee. That is a rough three-fight stretch. Uh, I'm okay picking Dalby here. Dalby re-debuted in the UFC with a win over Alex Oliveira. Um, going with Dalby, but... Again, Ronson could, you know, come out and show massive improvement. Uh, we have a heavyweight fight, because of course we do. Tom Aspinall against Jake Collier. Aspinall making his debut, also British. And a Cage Warriors guy, whereas Collier has fought in the UFC a few times. Several times. 
He's been in the UFC since 2014? He started at heavyweight, dropped to light heavyweight. He's been off since November of 17. What caused that? Injury and then a drug test issue. Okay. I'm going to pick Collier there, but eh. That's, that's a little bit iffy on my part. Uh, Movsar Evloev will fight Mike Grundy. Uh, Grundy had a pretty... had a, He's got a win over Nadna Romani. I actually like Evloev here. Um, he's undefeated. He had a good UFC. He's fought twice in the UFC. Both times, solid wins over... The kind of opposition you want a guy who's got 12 fights to be fighting. He beat uh, Seung Woo Choi and then Enrique Barzola. I think he probably wins again here. Uh, Tanner Bozier back in action at heavyweight against Rafael Pessoa. No real problem picking Bozier here. Pessoa had a... He's gone 1-1 uh, one one in the UFC, and his one win was not especially uh, compelling. Betch Cohea still has a job. Uh, she well, she won her last fight. Uh, anyway, she is fighting Penny Kianzad. I'm actually going to pick Kianzad here. I don't really, I don't usually pick Betch Cohea to win fights. Uh, welterweight fight Ramzan Amiv against uh, Nicholas Stoles. Amiv's pretty legit. Uh, he Coming off, he's coming off of the first loss of his UFC run when he lost a decision to Anthony Rocco Martin. But had won three or four in a row before that. Um, whereas Stoles is coming into his UFC debut. He's won four in a row, but again, I feel okay picking Amiv under these conditions. And kicking everything off. Uh, at bantamweight, Nathaniel Wood will fight John Castaneda going to pronounce it, uh, yeah, Castaneda, um, Wood coming off of the first loss in his US, in his UFC run, when he, uh, was stopped by John Dodson in the third round of that fight, uh, Castaneda is coming into his UFC debut, off of only one win? That's odd. He's not replacing anybody, is he? Yeah, he is. Okay. Sorry, that explains it. Um, Nathaniel Wood was supposed to fight the debuting Umar Nurmagomedov. Um, Nurmagomedov, this would be the... Uh, he is uh, he is one of the legitimate... I say legitimate cousins, like biological cousins of Khabib. So, Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov was his uncle. Um, so, Umar pulled out of the fight uh, to be part of the mourning process. And, okay, that makes more sense. Uh, I'll pick Wood there. I think I would have picked Nurmagomedov over Wood, barely, but I feel I feel pretty good about picking Wood over uh, Castaneda. All right, that is UFC on ESPN 14. It will come your way this Saturday. I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so stop by, say hello. I always appreciate you guys when you're able to do so. Thank you much. Uh, okay, I think as far as news goes... Uh, the only thing I had here of, like, real note, uh, UFC 
235 has a potential replace. Okay. UFC 253, not 35. 253. Had the. uh, Was originally going to be the. It's scheduled for the fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. That's still scheduled, but. If Khabib pulls out of that, who could possibly blame him? Uh, So the UFC has another fight on this card now that could serve as a genuine pay per view main event. Middleweight title fight between Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa. Uh, This is the correct fight to make. It was the correct fight to make before Costa had a bicep injury slash had to cycle off the juice. uh, Whichever version of that you choose to believe. Um, Lest I be accused of anything serious there. The bit about him cycling down is kind of a long-standing joke. Uh, Officially, it was an injury, and I... Well, I am skeptical of officials of the official line and never surprised when it's wrong. I also don't have any evidence to the contrary in this case. So, it's the fight to make. It is a... If that's the... I don't know which of those two fights would be at the top of that card because I don't know how much of a hit uh, Adesanya's star power took after the fight with Romero. And Khabib is... I think Khabib is the biggest active star the UFC has, followed by Jorge Masvidal. And this will tell us whether or not Adesanya is still part of that conversation. But, uh, again, it's the correct fight. It's a good fight. I'm not complaining about it. Uh, if Whether that's the main or co-main, or they schedule it as co-main and it becomes the main event, it's a good bit of booking in the spot you want it to be in to potentially assist a card that might wind up needing a new main event if Khabib and Gagey falls apart. Uh, I think that's all I have for news, so let me check Twitter real fast, and we'll see if anything crazy is broken. Alright, doesn't look like anything crazy is broken, and I don't have anything else written down in my notes for stuff I wanted to talk about, so let's go ahead and get into plugs. Alright, you can find me... Here on the 411 Mania, uh, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast every week, pretty much. Uh, last week, Mark Radlich and I got together on Damn You Hollywood to review The Old Guard over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, part of the uh, the subsection of the W2M Network. Uh, you can find that on all your podcasting platforms as well, and we had fun talking about it. Uh, I don't think I have anything. I don't have a whole lot this week. Uh, you can find my review of the latest MLW offering. Uh, MLW has been re-airing their old underground television show, uh, re-releasing one episode a week on their YouTube channel, and I've been reviewing that. So you can find my review of episode two, now up in the wrestling zone of 411Mania. Uh, this last Monday, I stepped in on short notice to cover Raw, uh, in the wrestling zone. So you can find my full report for WWE's Raw, which was their go-home show before uh, their pay-per-view that is going on or about to conclude as I am recording. And apparently is a giant train wreck and not even the enjoyable kind. So you can see me, you know, dip my toes into the professional wrestling world again uh, over there. Coverage on Saturday. 
And yeah, I think that's going to be it for us this week. So thank you very much for listening. I appreciate all of you guys. All of your likes, comments, subscriptions, uh, all of your shares. Please share the stuff around. If you like what we're doing, tell people about it. It's the only way we grow. I will be back here next week. Hopefully Jeff will be back or... Uh, if Jeff's unavailable, I'll try to get somebody else because you don't want to hear me talk to myself. Next week, we'll be uh, doing a full review of UFC on ESPN 14. And we will have a preview of UFC on ESPN Plus 31, which is scheduled to go down on August 1st. That being the card headlined by Holly Holm and Irina Aldana. That is... Wow. Hang on. I'm just getting a look at this card. And, uh... Yeah. Why is Vicente Luque fighting Randy Brown? Okay. Luque's only losses in the UFC. Lost his debut as part of the Ultimate Fighter finale in 2015. So in five years, he's lost... So since then, he's only lost twice. Once to Leon Edwards and once to Stephen Thompson. And he's fighting Randy Brown? Vicente Luque gets no respect. That is criminal. That is just criminal. Uh, But next week we'll have a full preview of that card and hopefully a bout order. Right now, all we know is the main event is Holman Aldana. Which is itself a really odd fight. I mean... Just a really odd fight. Alright, anyway. That's it for me. Back next week for that. Hope to hear you all... Well, you're, you're hearing me. Hope to see you all then. Until then, thank you very much again. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.